how's it going everybody? It's good to see you from uh, whatever time of the day or country or even village you are watching this. My name is Jonathan Horsfall, I'm a pastor here at Life Church Bath. It's so good to be with you. Um, uh, as some of you, actually most of you know this year we've been, uh, for 2020, we've been spending our entire year looking at the verse of Second uh, Peter, um, where Peter says, what kind of people ought you to be? And uh, I know for, I, I said it last week, but just for the last couple of weeks and months, this has been, we just found out today, 14 weeks so far that we have been uh, doing online church, which has been so fun. And I know that you guys have enjoyed it. Um, he's looking at me right now, but Dom, thank you so much for your gift. You've been an amazing uh, part of the team here and making this work so well. And he's uh, really giving me a deadpan face right now. Not, not impressed, but uh, Dom, thank you, buddy. Um, so I'm gonna, we're gonna kick, go back into uh, the, the, the sermon series of I Choose Joy. And uh, the verse that I'm gonna just unpack uh, briefly is in Nehemiah, where just the, the verse has been picked out. The Lord, the joy of the Lord is your strength. Now, the joy of the Lord is your strength. I would say I have heard so many times. I've seen it on fridge magnets. I've seen it. People say it from, uh, from um, I've said people say it from the front. But um, as I was, as I took this verse on to prepare a message for you, I was actually really surprised, not only where it was, because it's such a small verse, you think it'll be in the Psalms or the Proverbs, but no, it's in the book of Nehemiah and the context of where this verse is being given astounded me. And I love the book of Nehemiah because um, it's, it's one of those books that actually I, I preached the very first sermon series that uh, me and Ruth did when we moved to America to the amazing life church. Church Morris, who we miss greatly, amazing godly people. But it was the first sermon series that I did um, to this new congregation that God had asked us to lead. And so I have some fond memories of just going through book by book each chapter. But there's a part of this message about the Lord, the joy of the Lord is your strength that I'm going to go straight into. And you guys would know the story of Nehemiah. It's about the rebuilding of a city. Nehemiah um, is in a faraway land and hears from the Lord and is called by the Lord to go back to Jerusalem to help rebuild the walls. And, and, and if you know then, the, the walls had been down and destroyed for so many years and they had tried to rebuild them for decades and it just wasn't able to happen for numerous reasons. But when God sent Nehemiah to go and rebuild the walls, he ended up completing it in 52 days. 52 days, which is amazing. But the, but the story of Nehemiah is not, it's not just about a story of a rebuilding of the city. There's actually a prophetic parallel over this story that it's actually about Jesus coming to rebuild someone's life. This is, this is a perfect picture of what giving your life to the Lord looks like. It, it's the salvation of a person. You see, in the Old Testament, back in the day, outside of the Bible and in from history, a city's defense was only as strong as the wall that it lived around. So depending on how high the walls are, how long the walls were, um, if you were looking to attack a city, that is the first thing that you're going to come across. So the wall of the city was a picture of the prosperity of what was going on inside. And so if you were looking at a city and it only had three walls out of four, if you were an enemy, where would you attack? You would go to the wall that is down. So hence the, the, the urgency of Nehemiah needing to go back and rebuild the walls because the enemy could come in and out day or night whenever. And 
if you look at the parallel, what I said about going back to the spiritual life of a person, you might have areas in your life that you are really strong in. But if you have an area of weakness, that is where the enemy will attack you. And so Nehemiah is a perfect picture of not only what God did to the nation of Israel, but it's something for us today to realize that when we dig our heels into the word of God and we plant ourselves in the word, what comes is, is a fruit of your life of a character and integrity that you start becoming solid and immovable. You know, if you imagine your life with, with growing in integrity, if you are attacked in an area that you are strong in, it's like a stone being thrown against the wall. And it's so small, the stone, yet it's an attack. But because of the integrity that you have in your life, you don't feel it. You don't feel things that are trying to get in because you have built your, built your life upon the rock and not against the sand. And so in Nehemiah, they've rebuilt the walls. I'm going to go, it's in Nehemiah 8. But the first couple chapters is about rebuilding. But there's something amazing that happens is that as they are rebuilding the walls, the people, people of God, the Israelites, they find the scriptures within the city. Now, it's said in a way that actually because the city had been desolate and it had been broken, there was no temple. There was there was no scriptures being read. So you have a generation and I, I, I can't tell you how many generations back, but there were people who had never heard the word of God. So when the city and the walls were rebuilt on the outside, in the core of the city, as you know, Ezra was the, the prophet that was going to rebuild and the temple. So what happened is when the city was now strong enough and it went from um, surviving to thriving, you have this, this moment, this ceremony, where uh, Nehemiah, Ezra, the priest, the, Le the Levi priest, they gathered every single person in the city to gather into one place. And they wanted, it was like a, it was like a, I'd say it's like a coronation ceremony. No one was getting um, set into place. But what was happening was, was that this was the day that the temple was now reopened. And to set that up, they called everyone, uh, they called everyone together. And I'm going to read it from Nehemiah 8. And I'm just going to read it to you. All the people came together as one in the square before the water gate. They told Ezra, the teacher of the law, to bring out the book of the law of Moses, which the Lord had commanded for Israel. So on the first day of the seventh month, Ezra, the priest, brought the law before the assembly, which was made up of men and women and all who were able to understand. He read it aloud from daybreak till noon as he faced the square before the water gate. And in the presence of the men, women and others who could understand and all the people listened attentively to the book of the law. Just just imagine this. Imagine I, whenever I think of like big ceremonies, I always go to the 2020, the 2012 opening ceremony of the Olympics. I, I, I've always remembered just how amazing that that production, just an amazing thing that we as a country put on. But it, it, for me, I just, it always just felt like it was the beginning of something that I'd never seen in my nation growing up do. And it was just this amazing spectacle. And I knew that everyone around the everyone in our nation was glued to their TV watching. And it's just this moment where the scripture is being read and everybody, like we were glued to the TV when it was happening. We are listening and watching intently as the word of God is being read out. And, uh, and back to verse four, Ezra, the teacher on the law, stood on a high wooden platform built for the occasion. 
And then down again to verse five, Ezra opened the book. All the people could see him because he was standing above them. And as he opened it, the people stood up. Ezra praised the Lord, the great God, and all the people lifted their hands and responded, amen, amen. And then they bowed down and worshiped the Lord with their faces to the ground. I just say, going back to the scriptures, there is something that happens when we read the word, guys. That you don't read the word, the word reads you. And there is something so powerful when we read the word of God. I love, I love my Bible. And then verse seven, the Levites and all of those people, which I am not going to have a go at reading because the blooper reel is coming and I just, I've got too much content um, to add to this. So I'm not going to have a go. But they instructed the people in the law while the people were standing there. They read, verse eight, they read from the book of the law of God, making it clear and giving them the meaning so that the people understood what was being read. So imagine this, the word is being read out, but the priests are walking among the people and they're whispering and speaking to groups of people saying, hey, uh, when, he, when Ezra's reading that, this is the context. This is what it means. Because it was also a, almost a different translation to what they were used to. So the word of God is being read and, 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 and God's people are walking around the people, um, explaining, translating, giving context to what's going on. So it's a real group effort. I, just, I, I love this picture. And then as the word of God is being read, as we're about to read, something starts to happen. We start with praise and everyone was saying, amen, amen. And they fall to the face and they start worshiping. But can you guess what happens next? You see, the, the conviction of the Holy Spirit, I believe, starts to fall on the people because they start to realize as they are hearing the words of God that the standard of living that they had in their own heart was here. But when the word of God was released by Ezra, the word of God going into the hearts of his people, what they started to realize was that the standard that God had for them was much higher than they had for themselves. Isn't that true when we read the word? Isn't that true when we talk about the kingdom of God? That actually the kingdom of God is so much higher than our earthly minds that we think. Isn't it true that the church, we are to be the embodiment and to model what kingdom thinking looks like? We, we know what earthly thinking looks like, but kingdom thinking in our speech, in our actions, it's God, an invitation to, our church, to us as a church. Let's stand up and let's represent what the kingdom is. So as you've maybe experienced, and I know I have, when I start to realize that God's standards, God's law is so much higher than mine, something begins to happen in the hearts of people. And it says, as they started to read, weeping and mourning started to happen as they came to terms with their own humanity and need for their God. I'm trying to think of a, of a moment when I've seen so many people cry at the same time. And the only one is 2003 when Leeds United were relegated and Alan Smith went to Man United. Terrible day. Terrible. But in verse 9, you can see this is Nehemiah the governor, Ezra the priest and the teacher of the law and the Levites who were instructing the people said to them, This day is holy to the Lord your God. Listen to this. Do not mourn or weep. For all the people have been weeping as they listened to the words of the law. Have you, have, you, have you seen this before? This is 
a, a, a almost like a mass corporate mourning and weeping as the word of the Lord is given. And the people that are leading the meeting are looking and going, this is wrong. This is, this is actually a holy day. Don't weep. I mean, that's, I mean, that, I mean, that's enough to stop right now and, and, and ask yourself, do you, do you th- when you think of holiness, do you think that holiness is weeping? That it is just being in, in, in absolute silence and beating yourself? Because I, what I'm not saying is repentance has a godly sorrow to it. And there is a, there is a realization of the bar of realizing I'm repenting, I'm changing my mind because I have not gone the way that God wants. And that is a godly sorrow and that's part of repentance. But in this moment, as the word of God is being given, the men men of God in this are saying to the people, this is a holy day, stop crying, don't don't mourn. And in verse 10, this this is what's scandalous about this story. Nehemiah said, Go and enjoy choice food and sweet drinks and send some to those who have nothing prepared because this day is holy to our Lord. Do not grieve. And here it is. For the joy of the Lord is your strength. I don't know you, but have you ever seen anybody crying and then said to them, stop crying for the joy of the Lord is your strength? That might sound a bit inconsiderate, like not really empathizing with someone right here. But God, there's something about God in this that I believe the church is missing. For the joy of the Lord is your strength. What does he mean by that? These are people that have heard the word of the Lord, some for the very first time. And there's something about God's heart that he wants everybody to know that as soon as you've heard my word, I want you to go home excited, not sad. It may, I mean, the more you think about it, you're like, this doesn't make sense. Do you know what? It doesn't make sense to an earthly sense. Absolutely. You know, if I put this into context, if I, I said about Nehemiah being a parallel, spiritual parallel to what it is to be, um, uh, you know, a, a man or a woman giving their lives to the Lord and the walls being rebuilt. If, put it this way, if, 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 there is, if someone um, is struggling, say, with an addiction, and they are, they are bound by this addiction. And this person meets Christ. They give their lives to the Lord. And suddenly the walls that may be broken in their life now start to be rebuilt. The way the joy of the Lord is your strength works out is this. If this person said from this day forth, I'm giving God my addiction to him and I'm going to go to him now for my needs and he is going to rebuild me so this is no longer a weakness in my life. Where this plays out is this. If you were walking with this person and you were say, and, and for example, let's just say this, we're saying someone is struggling with alcohol, for example, and they are, they're an alcoholic and they are walking with Jesus to get free. When would you celebrate the the freedom of this addiction when would you celebrate the sobriety of overcoming something that is taking over someone's life you might think well maybe let's make a plan maybe we have a celebration after four months of sobriety maybe maybe it's six months maybe it's a year but we're going to say in a year's time we're going to celebrate what you have achieved but in this very verse I believe God is saying, you know, the law requires we only celebrate when you're one year free. 
But I believe the kingdom of God, God is saying in this verse, yes, you are recognizing that you cannot, you can't, you can't in one second maybe overcome something that you need to break free of. But God is saying, I want the first day you realize that to be of joy and of celebration because the victory is now. It's not in a year's time when you can say, look what I did. The victory is in what Jesus paid on the cross so that you can say the joy of the Lord is my strength and I celebrate right now. The joy of the Lord is your strength. This gives me context even to um, Luke 15 in the, in the story of the prodigal son. You see, when the father saw the son come home, he didn't say in three weeks time, we're going to have a party. He said, quickly, he's coming back. Kill the fat calf. We're going to have a party right now. And this is why the older son could not understand See, from his earthly mindset is that we can't celebrate that the prodigal son has come home because he hasn't done anything to prove that he's repentant. You see, that the, the, the law requires, okay, well, if we're going to have a party and let's say we're having a month, you've got four weeks to work your hardest to prove, to pay back what you have stolen, to pay back your shame. But God is saying, there's no payment needed. I'm the payment. I've paid for your freedom. And so we celebrate right now. And I want you to know that the joy of the Lord is your strength. And we are going to walk through this together in strength and in joy. And we're going to laugh and we're going to have fun because I want you to know that the kingdom, a third of my kingdom is joy. The other two thirds are peace and righteousness. This makes me just think, man, have, have, we, have we maybe portrayed the kingdom as a church that we have to, we, we, we've forgotten the joy part. That we've forgotten the joy part that Jesus said in John 15, 11, I have told you this so that my joy may be in you and that, my, that, your, that the joy you have may be complete. There is something about being complete in joy in him. This is a challenging message. You know, I, I think that when the, I think about the joy of the Lord is your strength, I just think, well, yeah, I'm, when I'm happy, I'm strong. No, this is actually when you are in the biggest trial of your life. I want you to turn to joy because it's your joy is what's going to get you through. You know, why do you think in James uh, 1 verses 2 to 4, he writes this, consider it pure joy. Consider it pure joy, my brothers and sisters, that whenever you face trials of many kinds, because you know that the testing of your faith produces perseverance, let perseverance finish its work so that you may be mature and complete and not lacking anything. You know, laughing at your problems is actually strategic. It's actually something that we need to model. What kind of people are we to be from this year? I want to be someone that I know that I can laugh at whatever I'm facing. You know, when I think about laughing at situations, you, you, you know, one of the greatest ways I think for me learning is don't, don't tell me, tell me your, don't, don't, if I'm learning off someone, don't just tell me it, show me it. And I can say one thing, when I think about Dan and Fee, I laugh out loud. I smile. I think about the, 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 it like the thousand amount of times that we've come together over a meal or, or they came over to our house or we stayed over their house when we live in America and we just share life. But the amount of times we have just laughed and laughed and laughed about problems, 
not because that we need to make fun of them, but just realize how in control we are of, of our situations, but what we can do is control what's going on here. Because let me remind you, happiness is about your circumstances, but joy is from what's within, and it's the joy within us is what helps us overcome our challenges. You know, I, I, I would say that laughter is the best medicine, and what laughter for me, the joy of the Lord, um, is my strength, is that there, are, there have been times in my life where I've just thought, this is it. I'm done. I can't, I don't know what to do. And being able to get to the place of realizing, do you know what, Jonathan? You're right. You can't change this, this, and this about your situation. But what God has done through, I'm thinking of it now, the face of Dan Reynolds and making me laugh. He's helped me realize that I might not be able to change the situation, but what I can change is my perspective. I can look higher and I can realize that God is still on his throne, that we are still his kids and that there is a plan over my life and there's a plan over your life and it's gonna happen. I, um, I called Edmund this week, uh, everyone knows Edmund. And I tell you, you all need his number in your phone book because uh, he's just such a wise man, such a godly man. And uh, I, in writing this sermon, I got to this uh, sermon block and I literally, I just, I knew what I wanted to say, but I didn't know how to say it. And uh, I called Edmund and I said, Edmund, look, this is my, uh, this is my situation. What, what do you want to say? And he just said this one little story, like 20 seconds. And I thought, that's it. He just summed it up. So Edmund, thank you so much, man. He reminded me of when um, a couple years ago, as we know in, in what happened um, in Iraq and Syria, when ISIS was, was storming through those two nations. And all of a sudden, the church eyes went onto the church in Syria and Iraq. And we were just going, this is the persecuted church right now. What was going on was absolutely evil. And Edmund reminded me that bishops were sent in to go and strengthen the church, but strategize. And one of the things that came out of it is when the church leaders in Iraq turned to the bishops and they said this one phrase that was astonishing. They said, Please, to the bishops, please stop praying that this persecution ends. We don't want it to end. What? Please stop praying. And do you know why? See, the church in Iraq was saying, don't pray for this to stop because we are so filled with joy right now. And we are so aware of God's presence in this trial that the church is the most alive it's ever been because we are realizing that the joy of the Lord is our strength. Wow. The joy of the Lord is our strength. You know, joy is so important in heaven that it motivated Jesus to endure the cross. Hebrews 12, 2 says, we do this by keeping our eyes on Jesus, the champion who initiates and perfects our faith. And because of the joy awaiting him, he endured the cross, disregarding its shame. And now he is seated in the place of honor beside God's throne. Guys, when we, as we are in this series of joy, and when you hear the joy of the Lord is your strength, 
I want you to recognize that this is not a fridge magnet that's just nice to say. This is right here, right now, whatever you are going through. This has been, I I know I've said it last week, but this has been a few weeks where the church has been sifted. I believe that God has answered a question that we said to him at the beginning of the year, what kind of people ought we to be? And I think he's answering. And, and, and I've spoken to, spoken to some of you and the challenge has been, I don't know what to do. I, I want to I suggest that you take this, this word, the joy of the Lord is your strength, and you use it as the beginning, as you allow the Lord to transform your mind, as you give your heart to the Lord and say, God, I want you to build me like you used Nehemiah to build the walls around a city, to turn it from thriving, to turn it from um, surviving to thriving, that we would choose joy in this season. We would choose joy because it's the strength that we need from him to get through the trials that we may be facing right now. So I choose Joy Church, what do you choose?